Welcome to the two-hour countdown to the third annual American Council of the Blind Audio Description Project Gala. ACB Media is once again proud to bring this gala to you, both in English and in Spanish. Hour one of this two-hour pre-show will feature excerpts from Visibilities, Tuesday Topics, and Sunday Edition, where the co-chairs of the Audio Description Project, Kim Charlson and Carl Richardson, along with the Audio Description Project Coordinator, Tabitha Kenlin, give you a backstage, behind-the-scenes preview of tonight's gala, including the presenters, the awards that will be given, including the People's Choice Awards, the history of the Audio Description Project, and many other fun facts about audio description itself. Hour 2 is the third in a series of programs titled Audio Description in Conversation, hosted by Tabitha Kenlin and Roy Samuelson. Tabitha and Roy host three blind professionals in the audio description industry who discuss their careers in audio description and opportunities for others who are blind in this field. And of course, Hour 3 is the actual audio description gala itself. So let's kick things off with Kim Charlson, ACB's immediate past president and co-chair of the Audio Description Project. It's my pleasure to be involved with the Audio Description Project. It's, it's a passion of mine, both on media for television, which is what the Audio Description Awards Gala is all about, movies, films, television, streaming services. But I'm also very, very dedicated to audio description for live theater hand in hand with my colleague Carl Richardson who is co-chair of the audio description project I want to give him a moment to kind of introduce himself and we'll talk about the awards gala <laughs> <laughs> My name is Carl Richardson as Kim said I am the co-chair of the media I mean of the uh, audio description project and I came at audio description a bit differently than Kim in that in my early days and my youth, I wanted to actually work in the world of film and television. Um, and I did for a little while, but then I lost my sight and stopped working in that industry and eventually stopped watching film and television because I could not enjoy it as much as I did when I recited. And it was audio description that gave me my love of film and television back. And as a result, I did some networking and for about three years worked at WGBH's Media Assets Group in their marketing department where I got to market audio description to television stations all over the country. And I have also gotten more involved as a result in my role of the audio description project in theater and museums and Section 508, which is government, and the baby, which is the uh, benefits of audio description and education, which is an essay contest we do for K through 12, and um, where we try to grow future consumers of audio description and getting them to critique audio description. 
And we just, uh, Kim and I have a blast. We have about, oh, I don't know, 20, 25 members on the committee with us. We have a lot of dedicated people, as well as a new audio description project coordinator, Dr. Tapitha Kinlam, who's been great. She's helping keep Kim and I focused on our priorities and our goals, and also taking on many initiatives of her own, which is great. Um, we have Dr. Joel Snyder, who's the senior consultant and founder. We have Fred Back, our webmaster. Timothy Wynn, who does the television listening for our website. So we have a lot of people who are dedicated to making this happen. But tonight, we're really here to talk about the audio description gala. And I will turn it back over to Kim. So, yes, the first thing I want everybody to remember is that the Audio Description Awards Gala is Tuesday, November 14th and um, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. So that I want you to put on your calendars um, so that you'll remember um, the, the awards gala. And then there's several options for accessing the awards gala. So it's it's a pre-recorded film um, about 85 to 90 minutes long. Um, and it we'll talk about a little bit about the content of it. But um, so it's roughly an hour and a half for the sake of conversation. And um, it's going to be available to listen to on ACB Media One. It's also going to be available on the Audio Description Awards Gala website, which is adawardsgala.org. And there'll be a YouTube live link that will allow you to um, view now at 7.30. So that's um, one way you can get it. And Carl, it's also going to be available on Peacock. We're making sure that you can watch it on the website for free. You can listen to it on ACB Media One um, or on Peacock. And it'll be available on Peacock for subscribers, I think, through the end of the calendar year. So, and, and on also on the ACB YouTube channel, as Kim mentioned. Yes, that's right. It'll be available on the ACB um, YouTube channel or the link on the AD Awards Gala dot um, org webpage will get you to it as well. And Hopefully, you can, you can watch it that night um, because it's going to be great. Um, when we're really excited. So those are the details about where do you find the gala? Yeah. Um, and the the gala, the purpose of the gala. This will be the third year that we've had the um, audio description awards gala, and the purpose is really to recognize and compliment and award and sort of highlight some of the industry um, leaders who are doing really good things in the area of audio description, really getting engaged with it and making it more and more available for, um, for consumers who use audio description all around the world. You know, because one of the categories that's being recognized is international audio description. I would also argue, Kim, that the, well, I think the purpose of the gala is twofold. First and foremost is to recognize those who are doing quality audio description in the field of media. But I would also argue to create more public awareness 
among those of us just outside the blindness community who are well aware of what audio description is, but with an industry. And I know for a fact they're all paying attention and they're looking at this award. So I think it is creating a more overall general public awareness of audio description. Yeah, I think so too, Carl. And I think the, the other benefit of the awards gala, particularly to the American Council of the Blind, is that it's a fundraiser and it does help us to raise funds to support the audio description project. We have sponsors um, that will be promoting all throughout the gala for their support of audio description, as well as honoring um, specific industry leaders for their contributions. And we we currently have, we have already raised over $100,000, which is, I believe, a record for us. And if anybody wants to, we're also accepting individual sponsors. I just went online yesterday and did it. So if, and we're, it doesn't matter if you give a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever amount you want to give, every dollar comes. And you can go to the same website, which is adawardsgala.org to donate if anybody is interested in donating and supporting the audio description project and its advocacy for both more audio description and quality audio description. Yeah, that's fantastic. I have to remember to do that too. We're hoping to surpass last year's numbers and we had, um, I think, over um, $8,000 in individual contributions last year, which was really, really good. And they did range as Carl said, from small $5 contributions up to like $1,000 contributions from individuals all across the country who believe in audio description and support it. And it means so much to them in their lives with their families and friends. And we got some new, we got Sony, uh, Sony Corporation, which is part of Columbia Pictures and and a number of movie studios. They're donating $25,000, which is exciting. And and um, we have some other corporate donors, too, that you'll all recognize when you watch the, the video, as well as some anonymous donors who re- wish to remain anonymous. So we'll be presenting several awards, I think nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and we call these awards the berries. And if anybody tuned in for our first gala, you might remember that the first honor and award we gave was to Dr. Barry Cronin who was the the impetus and the the motivation behind audio description. And he worked in the television industry within public television, and he brought um, the concept of audio description to industry. And as he tells his story, which is pretty powerful, he said, people laughed at me at first. They said, why do blind people need that? That is so ridiculous. But he didn't give up. And... You know, we had our the launch of audio description on public television in 1990. And think about where we are today. Um, and, and even in this, the last 10 years with the passage or 12 years, the passage of the um, 21st Century Communication and Video Accessibility Act or CVAA and what we have available on television. And then in the 2016, the explosion of content on streaming services that started to provide audio description. So it's it's growing and Carl and I work every day to make sure that audio description continues to grow and expand. And we're seeing that 
you know, every month there's new providers of audio description, right, Carl, that are out there we yep. may never have heard of that are doing Maybe. work in audio description. There are two new treatment services that just launched within the last month, Magellan and Curiosity. I still haven't gone to look at them because I don't even know what they are. Mm-hmm. But they're um, but they're they're there with audio description, and I'm looking forward to checking them out. Um, and I hear that others are thinking of following through. So absolutely. Uh, and now we have, according to the ADP website, where we try to track all the titles that are out there in media, on television, film, and streaming, we have over 10,000 unique titles. That's on television, streaming services, TV, um, DVD, all those different formats, over 10,000 titles yeah, available. and. Yeah. The um, the master title index on our webpage is a great resource for people to go to at adp.acb.org um, to look up a favorite movie, or you were just curious, you wondered if such and such a movie is available with audio description, that's the place to go to find out. So you already mentioned that we do want an international. Uh so because America or the United States is not the only country in the world doing audio description well, it's all over the world. And so we will recognize another media company that is doing it in another country. We will recognize a company that is doing it in Spanish here in this country. Uh, Kim, do you, do you we also I- are going to, and we, the berries are all of the awards, but then we have specific categories we call game changers. And we ha- will have a recognition of um, game changer innovation, game changer education, um, game changer entertainment. Yep. Um, and, th- and then we also have, um, a I don't Lifetime. Know, distinguished career service, but we will be recognizing someone who has dedicated their career to the promotion of audio descriptions. So I, we're excited about that award too. And I know we can't announce the awardee, but can we announce who some of the presenters are or at least the co-host? Well, yes. Yeah, we can talk about the co-hosts, which yeah. is great. So we have... Um, we have two new co-hosts this year. Um, we have um, Marilee Talkington, who is an actress um, for television, and she is also a Broadway actress. She's just finished a stint on Broadway in Camelot, and she is a low vision actress. Um, if those of you may remember her, she was at the 2018 ACB convention in St. Louis. And she did an acting workshop for blind people, and she did a lot of coaching and gave a great presentation to the membership about her wish to see more diversity and more inclusion of blind actors in industry, in the entertainment industry. And I think we really have um, a case in point example of that is a film that's going to be released next week on Netflix called it's a mini series called all the light we cannot see um there's been a few um pre-release screenings in several cities around the country so far there was just one in boston last past week yeah and um they they showed the first hour episode 
And that film um, features a Rhode Island native blind actress named um, named Aria Maya Loberti. And she is um, she's from Rhode Island. I actually have known her for since she was a little tiny kid. And now she's in her 20s going for a PhD in, um, what is it, L- rhetoric, literary rhetoric, <laughs> I can't even say it, let alone get a PhD in it, literary rhetoric. rhetoric. She's, a, she's a, um, a, a Rhodes Scholar, I think, or, I mean, just got a, she's got an amazing, amazing uh, resume. And she, this is her first film as a blind actress. And she um, plays one of the lead roles in the film. If you're familiar with the story, it's and, takes place in <laughs> direct. We we to do. I will say one of the presenters is associated with that show. All the light we can see. So that's my one teaser. Not yes, necessarily exactly. <laughs> not necessarily talent, but somebody who would involved in the creation of the of the show and very much involved in making sure that the movie had blind actresses and, and yeah. took their point of view into it. So that's, that's exciting. And I, and I think that we, we should tell you that, you know, some of the aspects of the gala were a bit challenging for us this year, because as you all know, there, um, <laughs> there is and has been a, um, a strike in the um, Writers Guild of America went on strike for, you know, better rates, better pay, better protections for their creative properties, you know, concerns about artificial intelligence and where that is for their jobs and a lot of different things. So they were on strike. And then the um, SAG-AFSTRA, the union for actors and a lot of the industry, the entertainment industry went on strike as well. So, um, actors and some of the celebrities that we've had in past years were not able to be a part of our gala because of the rules of the union and being on strike. So we had to come up with some creative ways to, to, um, you know, make the gala as exciting as it's been the past two years. And I think we did that in a lot of interesting, creative ways. Um, And, and, and to continue along the theme of diversity, we also have a co-host along with Marilee. Uh, I'm blanking out on her name, Kim. Do Uh-oh. you remember? The- I was hoping you'd remember. Let's see. Um, Catalina. Does that sound right? Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm sorry, but she she's a, um, a woman of color and also blind. And by pure coincidence, and I'm not giving anything else, the day we shot this at 30 Rockefeller Center, and that's the other exciting thing, we shot the co-host intro to 30 Rockefeller Center in New York, where NBC and The Tonight Show was started 50 years ago before it moved out to California. They both found out they were from the home, same hometown and went to the same high school. Yeah, just so, a few years apart from each other, but they didn't yeah, know each other. Yeah, and so, two visually impaired women who, yeah, who and, are and she's, um, yeah. a Spanish speaker, a native yeah. Spanish speaker, and has a YouTube presence and for the life of me, I don't know why I can't remember her name. Well, and the, the other interesting, now that you mentioned Spanish, what else is going to be unique about this this show this year, Kim? It is being um, 
produced, well, produced and made accessible in Spanish with um, dubbing as um, Spanish narration and audio description in Spanish. And of course, the English language gala is, is with audio description. And we have a new describer this year. His name is Ren um, Leach. And because we had two female hosts, we decided to have a male audio description voice because we thought that would be a nice compliment. So, And he um, is part of the blind community as well. And he is a blind um, voice talent in in the audio description field. Exactly. Tabitha Kenlin, the audio description project coordinator. So as, as, you know, some people might know by now, um, I've, I've popped up on, on community a couple times, but I joined ACV officially as the, um, audio description project coordinator in January. So this is sort of my first, uh, you know, my, my first year with, with, ADP and all of the different programs and, and initiatives under the ADP umbrella. And of course, one of the, the huge ones is the Audio Description Awards Gala, which was launched in 2021. Um, so I, I kind of was just watching in amazement as the, the committee um, you know, just just was getting everything done and contacting um, winners and assembling video clips. And then all of a sudden somebody said, Hey, Tabitha, do you want to be on the production committee? And it was like, um, sure. <laughs> and so that meant that I got to contribute to, um, to writing little miniature scripts because everything is recorded in advance. So we have the winners and we are not going to tell you who any of the winners are. So don't even <laughs> ask. We've been sworn to secrecy and pinky swears over, over <laughs> Zoom are just as binding as in-person pinky swears. Um, so you'll have to, to tune in on the 14th to find out the winners, but they, the winners know that they've won um, uh, receiving an award. And um, so they've recorded their, their acceptance remarks. And then we also have presenters announcing who the recipients of the awards are. And so I, I helped um, the, the other members of the production team, Tony Stevens and Joe Strake, um, create little scripts for the, for the presenters. Um, and Kim was one of our presenters, along with um, Barbara Hinsky, who is the author of the Guiding Emily series that some people might be familiar with. Um, and uh, so I, th- I think Barb and Kim had a lovely time. Carl is also presenting, uh, doing a little tribute to Joel Snyder, our um, uh, founder and, and senior consultant for the audio description project. And um, so I, yeah, I just helped kind of write those little scripts. And then um, the hosts, our, our official hosts, Marilee Talkington and Conchita Hernandez, they also have, you know, multiple scripted remarks and, and introductions of, of people and things and the People's Choice Awards, which Kim will, will talk about here in a minute. Um, and so I went up to New York on October 12th, I think it was, that we recorded in 30 Rockefeller Center down the hall from Jimmy Fallon, apparently. Um, I I go to bed too early. I don't watch these things, but apparently people were really excited <laughs> about the proximity of Jimmy Fallon. 
studio. Um, and uh, and Marilee and Conchita met for the first time there on the set. And so they were chatting, getting to know each other while, you know, having the hair and makeup done. And it turns out they're from the same hometown. It just totally just like exactly the same hometown went um you know went to the same high school um you know at different times but it was just really funny so obviously it was like well we have to work this into the script so um yeah so there was a little rewriting on the fly and then they did some improvising as well as they went um and uh, and I was I as they say in the biz I was on book the whole time I had the script in front of me on my laptop, um, you know, magnified ginormously so I could read the words. Um, so if anybody did, uh, you know, forget a word or something, I could, I could prompt them and, you know, they were great. We did multiple takes and everybody was, um, just, you know, really excited and, and willing and enthusiastic. And there was no whining or complaining, no diva, (laughs) (laughs) nothing like that. It was just really friendly and, and supportive. So it was a lot of fun and it's been great to, to see the, the rough cuts and how all of these different pieces, um, all these little different bits of videos have been, um, you know, put together like a, a huge jigsaw puzzle. And it's just becoming a, a really great, product that I think everybody yeah. is going to enjoy. Kim, tell us about the People's Choice Awards. Award sure. This year, we started out the process in the summer, and we um, took nominations for people who are consumers of audio description to, to nominate their favorite program with really good audio description. So, We got a lot of nominations, and based on those nominations, we identified five, um, well, we divided the categories for possible awards into two categories, five in each. One is series that were um, live active series in the period um, between, I think it was March 2022 and March 2023. And then we have a films category. So there's five um, finalists in each of those two categories. So I'll tell you first who the, who the five finalists are for series. So we have um, Stranger Things, which is a Netflix production. And the audio description was done by Deluxe US. We have Better Call Saul, which is also a Netflix production and the audio description was done by descriptive video works we have wednesday which is also a netflix production audio description by idc digital international digital corporation um alma's way which is a pbs kids and fred rogers productions it's a bilingual um program with English audio description done by Bridge Multimedia and Spanish done by Decapta. And the fifth um, series finalist for Audio Description People's Choice Award is Star Trek Picard, which is a Paramount Plus production with the audio description done by WGBH Media Access Group. The gala will be um, available in Spanish with dubbing provided by Decapta 
and audio description also provided by Decapta in Spanish. Yes, I'm excited about the film category too. So let's see, we have um, Top Gun Maverick, which is a Paramount picture. And the description is provided by Icon, which is a new name in the audio description community. Some of you may not have heard of, but if you saw that film, the description was pretty darn good. So we also have Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, That is an A24 studio production. The um, description is provided by Deluxe US. We have... um, Little Mermaid live action, which is a Walt Disney Studios production. And the description for that is provided by Deluxe US. Um, Flash, Flame and Hot, excuse me, Flame and Hot. That's a Hulu Disney Plus production. And the description is done by Descriptive Video Works. Um, Emergency is an Amazon Studios production with the description done by WGBH Media Access Group. So those are the five um, films as well that are going to be one film will be a People's Choice Audio Description People's Choice Award winner and one series will be selected. So we'll have two presentations and I think you're all going to be pretty excited about the winners of, of those two categories. So that's a really important part of the gala. It allows us to recognize both the studios for having audio description on their productions, but it also gives us a chance to recognize and honor the audio description production companies that are such an important part of the audio description process and to really spotlight their work, which is behind the scenes and doesn't always get a lot of attention and spotlight. Last year, we did an after party on Zoom and we invited listeners who had watched the gala to, to join. And then we have, we're hoping a whole lot of the people involved in the process from the planning committee to the people making the presentations in the production itself, to the winners of the awards, will join um, a webinar Zoom and be able to talk with each other. And then we'll also take questions or comments from the audience. And last year was a lot of fun. I had a really good time. So I'm hoping that it will be just as good for the after parties. So that will happen, you know, right after the gala. You want to tune over in Zoom to the after party for the AD Awards Gala. We are going to be showing clips from all of the People's Choice Award nominees during the the program. And I think two of those clips we are doing with no video, only audio and audio description. So everybody's going to be in the same boat there for a couple minutes. So that could definitely be a teachable moment. <laughs> that goes to the purpose of this gala. And I see it as threefold. Well, threefold. One <clears throat> is to recognize the excellent work that's being done in audio description and have the consumers acknowledge the excellent work in the audio description is a three-legged tool, voicing, writing, and editing. And we want to honor all aspects of the audio description. 
Two is to create a greater public awareness of audio description beyond the blindness community. We want other in industry to be more aware of audio description, and we want the general public to be aware of audio description. And this is another way of doing that. And third is to also act as a fundraiser. This is also a fundraiser so that we can continue to support the good work that the Audio Description Project does for the American Council of the Blind. And so, so far we have raised over $100,000. And you can also, from generous sponsors such as Disney, Amazon, Sony. Sony came in this year with $25,000. So we have, you know, Vitac. We have many corporate sponsors, but you can also donate individually at adawardgala.org. I just went on the other day and donated some money myself to support the great work the Audio Description Project does. So it, it's those three areas. One, to recognize the excellent work in audio description. Two, to create a greater awareness of audio description at large. And three, to act as a fundraiser that support the great work that the Audio Description Project does. So one, we can view it on ACB Media One, okay, as everybody knows. You can view it, there'll be links to it at the ACB, at the award gala, at adawardgala.org website. It'll also be on the ACB YouTube channel. You can watch that live. And it'll also be on Peacock for those who have a subscription to Peacock both available to watch live and after the fact as an archive for about a month, it'll be on Peacock. So it'll be in all those areas and then fully available as a podcast too. So it'll be available on multiple streaming platforms. Tabitha, why don't you tell everybody how this whole thing began to begin with, if you have been informed why did we start the AD Gala? Well, yeah, Carl is probably, I mean, I'll, so I'll I, yeah. Do you, want to, do you want me to start and you fill in the gaps or do you just want to take it, Carl? Um, well, I can start and you can fill in the gaps if you want, because Kim and I were both, Tabitha was not even part of oh, the your description yeah. project when that started. Right. I didn't even know it existed, to be honest. I know. I know. <laughs> right. So, so it basically started as a way, to be honest, um, because we saw an explosion in the field of media, where that where we've seen the most explosive growth in audio description in terms of streaming services, cable, television, DVD, movie theaters, and we wanted to do two things. Yes, and and in, this was pre-COVID, so we were actually thinking of doing an in-person event with industry people. And, and having it inside a theater which, with awards and MCs, and then COVID happened. So, and it was originally um, Kim, and I think Tony Stevens thought of it to be as a potential fundraiser, it, uh, along with creating awareness and giving recognition. Then COVID happened, and we decided to go remote and do it virtually. And actually that worked better, and in my opinion, because that means everybody can participate. Everybody can watch this. You don't need to rent out a black tech. You don't, you don't need to fly to New York or LA. And you can get everybody involved to submit their video recording and things like that. And, and industry now serves on the planning committee and we plan this throughout the year. We have folks from NBC Universal. We have folks from Paramount Global. 
We have folks from um, descriptive video work. We have folks from Bridge Multimedia on the planning committee with us. We even had a gentleman from Lucasfilms on the committee who was one of the award winners last year, Mike, Michael um, Pong. So not only have having it virtually work, we've got industry to be a part of this planning committee and be with us along the way on how to make a better audio description awards gala. The producer is the producer from California who actually won, was nominated for an Academy Award for producing a story about a deafblind individual a few years ago called Sense the Wind. I think it's called Sense the Wind. I hope um, something, and he is actually an award, Academy Award nominated producer and director. So we're thrilled to have him help us put our product together. And this product will be open audio described so that nobody has to turn on audio description. And everybody, regardless of how you watch this or how you view this, will be seeing it with audio description. We did get a little creative this year because we had, you know, we were putting this together throughout the actor strike. So we we're not able to contact and ask actors to come and present mm. awards or, you know, provide sort of supportive testimonials, um, which I know had been part of the show last year. Cause I did watch the show, um, listen to the show last year. Cause I was interviewing for this job and um, I saw this come up on, you know, the community schedule and I was like, Oh, well, if I, if I'm interviewing for this job, I should probably <laughs> pay attention to, to what the ADP is doing. Um, so I, I tuned in. And um, so this year, you know, we, we weren't able to get, uh, you know, it did sort of give us, I guess, a little room to, to be, you know, I, I mean, I don't really love the phrase, but, you know, think outside the box and, you know, like, well, we can't just default to, to actors. Um, so who, who else can we get? Um, so, you know, we do have some, some recognizable Hollywood names. We have Sean Levy, who was the director and, um, I think, uh, a producer of the recent. And as long as, as well as the writer. Oh, and was he the screenwriter? I didn't know that. Um, of uh, all the light we cannot see, which is um, on Netflix. I, I think right now. I think it, it um, went live mm -hmm. a couple of days ago. Um, so, so he he came on and talked a little bit about that. Uh, but then we also have, like I said, you know, we have Barbara Hinskies. We have um, writers. We also have Andrew Leland, who wrote The Country of the Blind. Um, we have our our own, our very own um, benefits of audio description and education essay contest grand prize winner. Um, Yay! I know, I love her. <laughs> so she's on there. We've got uh, we've got Paralympians. We have two Paralympians actually. Um, so, you know, we just thought of the Academy picture of motion picture for the Academy yeah. Award. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got a, a nice testimonial from the Academy of, of, of motion pictures, the people who do the Oscars, um, you know, reiterating their commitment to accessibility and audio description. So I think, I think people will still be kind of, you know, surprised and excited by the guests, but, you know, we, we did kind of cast a wider net. We've got some musicians. Um, so yeah, so I think that was kind of, um, you know, a, a positive challenge this Anthony, year. Anthony, I would say that the most, the biggest thing in the evolution is the people's choice. The first year, we didn't have one. The second year, we had one, but it was kind of done hybrid style between those of us on the planning committee doing some nominating and then some from the people's choice. This year, it was fully 100% the people's choice from the consumer. So that's been the biggest evolution. 
I would think that we are including the input of the consumers. The other thing is some of the categories are a little broader this year in terms of um, you'll see when you see who the award winners are. It isn't strictly like Netflix and Amazon and Paramount. There are some smaller folks and some folks that are um, beyond the normal definition of media, which so we're we're looking at other people to do audio description too. So that we've expanded who the awards go to. So I think it it it's more um it's more broad minded and and includes the people more. Tabitha, name some of the categories to some of the awards. Okay, but don't 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 give examples. I don't want you to no, no, no. accidentally I won't say, give I won't away say what who won the award. Um, okay. But, but um, so like I'll give you an example. The baby lifetime achievement award. That that's been done every year. So we had to come up with an individual who would fit that category. Or and we have um, popular entertainment, innovation, live events. Right. Um, we do have gaming, uh, Spanish media, um, USA, and then we also have an international. Which um, which are, are the award? Which are the same category? Mostly we had the year before. So and and we we came up with a bunch of nominations, had a discussion, and we had several meetings. Um, so then I can tell you what we did next. Dan, Dan and I, and I think a few others, what we did is when's the date, the air date going to be? And once we all decided, meaning the whole planning committee, not just Dan and I, the whole planning committee decided what the air date was, we then created a schedule working backwards from that date saying, okay, the final print has to be in by such, and we did a schedule backwards of a timeline of when the awardees have to have their speeches, when the awards have to go out, when the script has to be written, when we're going to shoot a 330 Rockefeller Center. Um, so we did a backward schedule. And then we met every two weeks trying to see if we hit those deadlines. And then a few other people were on the fundraising committee, Clark, I, Colby, um, uh, Joe Lynn, um, Bill Reeder, we went out and approached potential corporate vendors to sponsor this event so that we could pay for this video production, okay? And and because, you know, to, to rent space and to shoot all these clips and to have a producer and an editor and a writer cost money. So we went and raised money and while trying to meet the timeline. And every two weeks we met, it was a combination of Tabitha, Kim, Dan, Clark, uh, uh, Kelly, who you all know, from, who used to be, and then a number of industry people, Lori from NBC Universal, um, um, Mark Torres from Paramount Global, Mark Cohn from Lucasfilms, um, an individual from Bridge Multimedia. We all had a planning committee and saw how we were doing meeting those target dates and, and getting the pieces and the assets into Doug and Tabitha to work with as they edit the final piece. And we've been, over the last two weeks, we've actually been seeing rough cut and making recommendations on how to improve, say, the transitions, or you forgot that you misspelled this title card, or you've got to tighten up the audio description here, or you got to do this. And we just what the final and now at this point whatever's done is done because we're at the deadline where we have to get the after that to the air live 
I think we have seen more of an increase in the use of blind consultants in the creation of audio description. IDC last, you know, does a lot and others, Netflix is doing some now. So I think we've seen an increase by us saying in the audio description gala, this is for and blind blind consumers. I think we've seen more of an increase in the participation of, of blind professionals being involved in the whole process from the writing to the editing to the voicing. So I, I don't know that we've seen, so yes, there's always things we're doing behind the scenes and, and part of it is because of the audio description gala, but part of it is also because of the outreach and the communication between industry and the audio description project. So Carl, tell us um, about the audio description project itself. Uh, tell us a little bit about the website. We are a committee within the American Council of the Blind, and the committee's goal is to advocate for both quantity and quality of audio description in all areas of audio description. Now, while the gala is mostly about media, meaning streaming, theater, movie theater, television network, audio description is so much more. It's theater, it's performing art, it's museum, it's parks, it's uh, government videos, it, it um, education, it's so much more. And we have several subcommittees to address all those issues. Our first subcommittee is the Section 508 committee shared by Pat Sheehan, and they, Section 508 is part of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, where it basically says that all government materials must be accessible, and that now includes audio description. And that committee has actually expanded and grown quite a bit within the last few years. So you should start to see more and more government sponsored videos with audio description. We have the Performing Art Subcommittee, which is shared by our very own Sheila Young. Then we have the Award Committee, which not to be confused with the Award Gala, which we're doing next week in a week and a half. This is the ADP Awards Committee, which looked at the areas outside of media where the awards announced at our annual convention in July. And we look at theater, we look at museums, we look at research, um, international, and things like that. And that committee uh, is chaired by Jeff Tom. Then we have the Convention Committee, which is chaired by Kim Shelton, which creates the materials and content where we have sessions at the annual convention in July. And and every year we have a different session on a on different aspect of audio description with people that actually work in the field of audio description. And that's always a lot of fun. We also have the Beatty Committee, which I'm gonna let Tabitha tell about. Uh, Beatty stands for Benefits of Audio Description in Education. And it is an essay contest for young people ages seven to 21. Um, we have four different categories. So we don't have seven-year-olds competing against 21-year-olds. Don't worry. Um, and uh, what we ask the students to do is access a, uh, a film or a TV show with audio description. Um, we try to steer them towards um, the, the catalog 
um, held by the described and captioned media program, DCMP, who are our partners, um, our co-sponsors in the debate essay contest. And um, so they, you know, they, they watch, listen to something of, of their choice, and then they write a little essay. And I mean, we are talking like, I don't know, three, 400 words, pretty short. Um, but they, they provide a little critique of, of the audio description. So not, um, not the film or, or, you know, video TV show, um, itself, but the audio description and kind of assessing how the audio description enhanced their, their, you know, experience or, you know, hopefully did not detract from it, but, you know, they're, they can be honest. I think we only have one committee left, subcommittee left. And left, I forgot any others. Uh, the media subcommittee, which I coach, I chair, and that has to do with basically theater, um, theatrical cinema, I should say, not theater, not live theater, cinema, streaming services, network, cable, DVD, streaming services, and I would, and and that made up of a lot of people. I would say the most exciting thing we've seen in the last couple of months on that committee is we're seeing websites and streaming services we never necessarily heard of now starting to offer audio description. There's one called Curiosity that just started doing some audio description. There's the Availability Film Festival now that just started doing audio description. So we're seeing smaller niche websites that we didn't necessarily reach out to and ask for them to provide audio description, and yet they're doing this. So this is an example of that greater public awareness that we were talking about earlier. We have a website, adp.acb.org, and on it, first of all, is a list of all those committees we just mentioned, as well as a list of state-by-state, some of the museums and theaters, that provide audio description to, under Tabitha's direction. We will be redoing the website fairly soon. It'll have a new look and new information. But right now we're strongest in the area of media information. So you can find out what's on any of the streaming services from Netflix to Disney, to Prime Video, to to Hulu, to iTunes, to, and if I, I'm not gonna mention them all because I don't remember them all off the top of my head, but they're all there um, and there's, DVDs. And also you can find out what's on your television network on a particular night or what's on a particular network. And if you look at the audio description project master list, we're now approaching almost 11,000 titles. Is that right, Tabitha? Or certainly over 10,000 titles, um, right? We are over 10,000. I can't, because it, it, it tends to change because, um, you know, sometimes uh, just the right, themselves will not be available um, you know, so it, I think I can't remember what the last number was from from Fred, our webmaster, but it was like, yeah, it was solidly over maybe ten thousand four hundred or something like that. Yeah, ten thousand titles, yeah. guys. So yeah. do you have a lot. Do you have a lot to watch. I mean, you have a lot to choose from. Um, but so the website is a valuable resource. Um, within the next six months, we should start seeing some. Sig- hopefully six months. There's a lot of changes going on at A to B, so we don't know when the exact timeline is, but hopefully within the next six months, you're going to see a new mainstream, new look, new editorial content, um, and, and, and we're going to refresh the website so that it, 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 it's more broad and appealing to everybody at large, not just the blind community, but also keep the functionality and the information that the blind community has come to expect. Let's talk about Dr. Joel Snyder for a minute. Okay. Um, 
Uh, so Dr. Joel Snyder started in the field of audio description almost 40 years ago. Um, uh, what's the organization in Washington, D.C.? Can somebody help me here? The National Ear? The Washington Ear. Oh, Washington Ear, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And he started out by doing um, reading with a radio reading service, reading comic books and comic strips, Sunday comic strips. And as he read the Sunday comic strips, he would describe them. And that's how he started out. And then he obviously went and got a you know, master's or PhD in audio description and had been involved in doing audio description for live theater, television. At one point in time, he was the head of audio description for... Um, uh, a company that did all their audio description, MCI, National Caption and Institute, who did all their audio description for ABC. He's written a book called The Visual Made Verbal, which has now been produced in several languages and is also available on Bard and Bookshare for anybody who's interested, where he talks a little bit about the history of audio description and what is audio description and what makes for good audio description. It's definitely worth reading. He started the audio description project 13 years ago. And I wasn't involved in the audio description project quite yet then, but he started it, I think, when Kim Charlton was president of ACB. And he approached her, and they both agreed, because Kim's also been involved on, in the field of audio description as an advocate and consumer for since the very early days of audio description when WGBH invented it for television. And in theater, she's also been involved very much as an advocate. So they both started it, Joel started it, and he was the director of the audio description project for about, oh, 10 years. And then he stepped down to become senior consultant and founder, and Joel Lynn took over for about, oh, I don't know, a year, a year and a half, Joel Lynn Bailey Page. And then we brought on Tabitha, our first full-time audio description project coordinator. But Joel has been involved in not only in the creation of audio description and the education of audio description. He does seminars all over the world on audio description. So he has worked with people all over the world internationally and is also involved in the research and academics of what audio description is on an intellectual level. He has also taught many of the people that work in the field of audio description now through his audio description institute that we now put on twice yearly. Um, we, used, we started doing those a number of years ago at our convention, but now we do them remotely online and there'll be another one coming up in the winter. So stay tuned for the Audio Description Project website if anybody wants to consider joining that institute and learning more about audio description. So Joel has been involved in all aspects from the research and development, creation of, producing of, education of. And this year, he notified us that he still wants to be involved a little bit, but he wants to step down from the Audio Description Project because he now feels like it's in good hands with the likes of Tabitha and others in the field of, you know, that the audio description project, but he also is doing some other things. He's still doing some work with his company as audio description associate, creating a lot of audio description, but he's also in the process of trying to create an archive of all the materials he created over the last 40 years and trying to find a home for that. So Tabitha, Carl, tell us again all the places we can see it, what time we should be looking for it. Tell us, just remind us again about the two parties going on as well. Tabitha, that's your 
you're you're going to wrap it up. Oh, all right. Uh, the date is Tuesday, November 14th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen to it on ACB Media 1 for English. And I believe... I believe the consensus is that it should probably be ACB Media 8 for Spanish. Yeah. Um, you can access both versions on adawardsgala.org, on the ACB YouTube channel, and on Peacock. You do need a subscription for that. And that will remain, um, the videos will remain accessible on Peacock through the end of the year, through December 31st. Um, and the videos will be on all of the ACB platforms as well. There will be a community call watch party on Zoom and Clubhouse. So if you want to listen as part of a group and share your, your enthusiasm when, uh, when, you know, someone you love wins, then you can do that. Um, and then there will be an after party from nine o'clock Eastern in which we will have as many of the winners and presenters and committee members. Um, I mean, I think I sent out an email to like 75 or 80 people <laughs> last week, lots of copying and pasting of <laughs> email addresses. Um, so uh, we'll see how many people, um, you know, are able to, to stop by for that and kind of, uh, you know, talk a little bit about their perspective on the process and um, answer questions from fans. So right. join us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third ADP in Conversation. I am Tabitha Kenlin, and I coordinate the audio description project for the American Council of the Blind. I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Roy Samuelson, and a fantastic panel of professionals working in the field of audio description in very interesting ways. Um, Roy, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and introduce us to our panel? So happy to be here, Tabitha. Thanks for the intro here. Uh, I am part of the Audio Description Network Alliance. I founded it a few years ago, and we focus on crediting audio description professionals of all kinds, particularly in film and TV. And we also have a podcast which showcases the contributions and the craft, skills, and perspectives of still underrepresented entertainment industry professionals serving the ED audience. So this particular interview checks all those boxes in the best way possible. Uh, we've got three guests. Uh, let's start off with uh, alphabetical order, if that's all right. Brandon, Colleen, then Krishna. Love to ask you to introduce yourselves, your your name, your job title and position, and uh, a brief, maybe a, about a minute or so uh, introduction about what you do. Uh, Brandon, could you start? Absolutely, yeah. So I am Brandon Cole. Uh, in terms of audio description, I have served as both a, a narrator and a uh, quality assurance, um, you know, kind of person, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, being involved in the in the audio description uh, industry has been a blast. It's it's been educational. It's been it's been awesome. Um, primarily, though, I'm actually a professional accessibility consultant working in the game industry. Uh, making games more accessible to the totally blind. And that actually has included audio description in a lot of my work as well. So good times. Uh, wonderful. Thank you. Colleen? My name is Colleen Connor, uh, and I am the director of audio description training retreats, ADTR, fondly. Um, 
and I uh, teach um, audio description to uh, anyone who's interested. <laughs> um, but I, I teach in small classes. Um, and yeah, I, um, I've also done um, narration. I've done a lot of consulting for a lot of different things. Um, I've been on some panels with Roy. Roy and I are are uh, friends as well as colleagues. Um, and yeah, I don't know. This is it's one of those things where like I do all things audio description, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a great start. We're going to ask you more questions later, so we will we will get to know you better, Krishna. Hi, I'm Krishna Washburn. Uh, I am the artistic director of Dark Room Ballet and uh, co-director of the film Telephone. Um, pretty much what I do is access advocacy and education as it relates to audio description for dance specifically. I teach traditional blind dance technique to blind and visually impaired people using self-audio description, which decenters sight and brings focus into internal sensation. And I also teach audio description for dance, which I think needs a somewhat different approach than audio description for other forms of art. And uh, my film Telephone is kind of like a little philosophical statement on that, as well as an example of many different audio describers approaches to dance as an artistic medium. And Colleen and I are both in an article uh, in the New York Times today, uh, written by Siobhan Burke, uh, which is all about audio description. Oh, that's great, Krista. Uh, we chopped off just a little bit, but I heard about the the New York Times article with you and Colleen about, uh, about audio description. We'll have to get into that. Tabitha, do you want to take the, the first question? And maybe we could uh, shake things up a little bit. Start with Colleen, then Brandon, then Krishna for our for our order here. Oh, you're doing this to me on purpose because I, I told Roy that I I can never remember what order I promised to go in. So he's testing me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well I remember that I'm going to start with Colleen. Okay, um, so yes, um, each of you has done some teaching or training, or um, you know, as Brandon mentioned, you know, work with with accessibility. Um, so you, you've all got some experience, kind of working with with other people to um, to do audio description or accessibility. And um, so, in a way, this is kind of um, the classic question because um, you know, as a teacher, I know that we often learn from our students. Um, so, kind of in that vein. What have you learned about your craft, um, about what you do, what, about what you teach through your interactions with other people and, you know, imparting your, your knowledge to them? So, yes, Colleen. Uh, yeah, so um, I have learned almost everything I know about professional audio description from my students or um, colleagues. Um and that is one of the things that I'm passionate about because I want to stay up to date with what's currently going on in the industry. Um, I try to have sort of feelers in kind of all aspects of audio description. And I myself, um, unfortunately, don't have the technical 
uh, side. I don't have a lot of the software knowledge and stuff like that. So I like to, you know, make sure that I have my engineering and recordist and, um, you know, studio kind of side of things. Um, if I have questions or I want to make sure that I'm teaching things that are current and up to date, um, if things are changing as far as companies um, or clients. So if you think of the larger companies like Disney or Netflix or um, the streaming services, I want to make sure that I know, um, you know, what's going on with live broadcast versus streaming and, um, you know, sort of, again, live and, and pre-recorded media, um, web content and education. Um, so I often am in conversation with either um, professionals or people who are in classes. Um, it's a reason I keep my class sizes small is so that um, we can all communicate and have enough time to have practice and feedback and discussions because this industry isn't particularly regulated um, and there isn't yet a degree or a certification for audio description. And so in all of the various roles, you know, I like people to have a really good foundation of all aspects of the industry. Um, I think the more you know about audio description, the better it makes you at your section of it. So you may be coming because you're interested in describing art, but I also want you to know what a narrator does and know what the writer does and know how to do all those things. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's sort of the most um, that I that I learn is kind of my um, keeping up to date besides like the best practices. And I, I want to make sure I'm updating everything to current. And that's um, sort of the thing that my students bring most often is, oh, you know, this software does this now or, oh, AI does this. Um, artificial intelligence is doing this. And, oh, someone's experimenting with alt text this way over here. Um, so that's besides just life stuff. Uh, that's the things that I, that I get from my students for sure. Yeah. That sounds incredibly useful. I don't think one person could really keep up with all those, all of that stuff, um, by themselves. Yeah. Um, and I love the idea of you know, the small classes and having discussions so that everyone is really able to kind of, um, talk about, um, you know, like you say, you know, trends or what might be best practices and and really just share their own experiences and, and thoughts on things. So it's great. Thank you. Um, I think, what did you say, Roy Brandon is next? Totally randomly chosen. Okay. <laughs> I'm just proud of myself for remembering. I'll go next. Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure, why not? Uh, so the things that I've learned about audio description have come from largely from my work with Descriptive Video Works, who uh, initially reached out to me to learn about video games and how they might work on implementing audio description in games. And that led to me wanting to know more about audio description and wanting to get involved in the process um, as a consumer of audio description for a long time, basically my entire life. Um, I was extremely interested. And so I got involved and started learning about, you know, you know, the way audio description works, you know, working as a narrator, uh, doing some quality assurance for them, you know, so I understood the craft of audio description a little bit more. Also, some great conversations with people like Roy over there, um, 
who I was lucky, lucky enough to be introduced to as well. Um, when, when I started working on audio description in games, I took the knowledge that I got from those, you know, from that work and brought it to game developers to basically try to explain to them what audio description was, how it could help them in their projects, uh, what it would mean for blind accessibility to have uh, something audio described in a video game. And I think the most successful example of that right now would probably be Mortal Kombat 1, uh, who uh, basically the, the fun fact about them is um, they did not intend to audio describe anything before I showed up. And now their entire cinematic story is audio described as well as the big moves in the game known as fatal blows and fatalities, all audio described. Um, it's a fighting game, it's a lot, but the important thing is it's now audio described and that brings a whole new layer of understanding and immersion to the blind player. And I think uh, that is probably the the summation of, you know, all of the things that I've learned and all the things that I've been able to pass along to game developers over the years. That's really interesting. So do you work with um, the game developers as they're working on the game so that they can think about audio description as they, I mean, and I will say I have not played a video game since like Pac-Man. So. Sure, sure. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I get involved early, as, as early as possible. Um, mm. The I, I start in, in, the level of development where almost nothing is built. And then mm -hmm. we work upward from there, establishing not just audio description, but accessibility features in general, just to make things playable to the blind, such as you know narration for all the, the menus in the game, and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, and of course, many other things, but it depends on the game itself. Um, but yeah, audio description has now become a part of that that work for me because I believe it's, mm -hmm. it's very powerful. And, and in games, we have now proven, I think that it can be very effective. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, this is one thing that I've learned because um, you know I've only been uh, entered the, the audio description world in January when I started this job at ACB. And one thing that I've just really loved hearing about is are these approaches that um, you know integrate accessibility and audio description from more or less the beginning rather than just tacking it on at the end as an afterthought, but making it a real integral part of the process. So. Maybe I'll have to start playing video games. I don't know. Um, thank you, Brandon. And Krishna, your turn. And I have to admit, I have taken one of your, I've attended one of your sessions. Um, yes, that's so I, true. I'm interested to see your perspective because I certainly learned things by, by attending. So. I have learned so much from my students. Um, all of my teaching is done virtually, and my students live all over the United States and all over the world. And uh, some of them have been studying with me for quite a long time. It's wonderful. I have my technique students. I have my audio description students. And then we also have times where we're all studying together. Um, what I've really learned is what draws other blind and visually impaired people to dance. Like, I think there's so many cultural stereotypes about what blind and visually impaired people should be interested in and like the reasons why we should be interested in something. And so many of us, we're all just kind of sitting on our own thinking, oh, I'm the only person who feels this way. And that really isn't true. <laughs> This is something that is so essential that blind and visually impaired people's interests 
are represented when we develop audio description for dance. It's really my technique students, the conversations that we have had about what we want to know, what our experiences, what we want them to be when we go to dance performances, that really helped me jumpstart my audio description for dance curriculum. And I have had, you know, professional audio describers come study audio description for dance with me and they'll be like, this is not what I was trained to do. And then it's so beautiful because then you have the voice of like 15 of my technique students saying, yeah, but I want that. Yeah. <laughs> for example, there is a, a hesitance to include any kinds of technical terms for audio description for dance, like not to use any dance words and to use kind of like plain words instead. Mm, you say like somebody squats rather than does a plie or something like that. Well, those are not similar anyway. Well, well yeah, anyhow, no, but-, <laughs> um, but true. But yes, exactly. This is the like, worst example I could think of. <laughs> like, oh, you know, the dancer spins as opposed mm. to does a pirouette or a PK mm. turn. And when you are a dance person who goes to dance performances all the time, whether you are a dancer yourself or not, it's an in-group experience that people know these words and can talk about these things with one another and be part of the community conversation. When we don't include opportunities to learn that kind of vocabulary, blind and visually impaired people are kept out of the in-group and they don't want to be kept out of the in-group. They want to be part of dance people community with everybody else. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. I love everyone has this kind of common theme here of um of being, you know, including a lot of people in the process um throughout. Um I remember when I, I started taking uh tango classes a few years ago and I was um I was anxious that my low vision was going to be a problem. And so I was talking to my instructor about it and um, she said, not at all, because the the whole point of, well, the whole point, but, you know, a very important part of tango is that you are doing, you're reading your partner's body, um, that you are moving together and there isn't really a visual element to that. Um, So she said, you know, a lot of sighted women will actually close their eyes when they dance so that they can block out all of those visual distractors and just focus on what their body is doing and what their partner's body is doing. So I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> so it took a little pressure off of me and um, I really loved it. I love that you're studying tango, Tabitha. That's oh, well, wonderful. I, I haven't done it since the pandemic, but um, I miss it. I would um, I'd love to get back into it. So. Come take ballet class. I, I did, yeah, I did ballet off and on as a kid and, and in college. So I, I might, I might have to, to carve out some time for that. Yeah. Well, thank you. I could just um, spin out this question forever, but it's, it's Roy's turn. <laughs> oh, this is great. This is so exciting to hear from Colleen talking about uh, technology and there's no way to do everything. And, and Brandon with that, that involvement early on creating a new layer of immersion and Krishna, what, a, I mean, the, when people on the blindness spectrum 
what they want from dance and addressing that and how that affects your training, the, the learning that all of you have gotten from either your students or your clients, the importance of language and words as it becomes part of the conversation is inclusion, which I think is a great segue to this question, which is um, each of you, let's start with, uh, again, totally, totally random here. Let's start with Krishna, then Brandon, then Colleen. So uh, Krishna, if we could start, how has your message changed or evolved since you started uh, your your training? And, uh, you know, I, I guess the, the two different directions we can go in is, was it because culture uh, within your community changed? You've already briefly addressed how you learned something uh, that might be more effective as you grew your your business. Uh, is there a, is there something else that you could add to it, or or uh, maybe we could just focus on the culture side, uh, Krishna? Well, first of all, darkroom ballet is not a business. <laughs> darkroom ballet is an educational program. It's a pre-professional educational program for people. It's a really important distinction for me to make. Everything that I teach is tuition-free, um, and that's a commitment that I have. I am a grant-supported program, so I'm not a business. Um, but what I have, like how I've changed as an artist, oh, I've changed so much when I started out as like a gig dancer, like doing performance projects with different dance companies, the majority of the performances that I was in had no audio description, none. And that would mean that people like myself really would have no reason to have attended my performances that I was in. And I was meant to feel kind of like grateful that I was being given a job at mm -hmm. all. There was a lot of discrimination and a lot of, you know, difficulties that I faced just finding opportunities to work, even though I'm like, I'm a classically trained performer. And, and still it was really that hurdle, like, oh, but do we actually want to have like a blind person in this show? Like, is that what this show is going to be about now? Like that kind of stress level. Um, and also I did not get considerable support like in rehearsals, like it was up to me to like beg and plead, like, can you please tell me what you're doing? <laughs> so that way I can prepare to be in this show. It was really laid on my own shoulders. Now that I am the teacher of pre-professional performers, my way of thinking is completely different. I, first of all, I would never ever agree to participate in any performance project without audio description, never. And I tell my students, hey, if you get hired for a gig and there's no audio description, make me yell at the person you work for until there is. Like make that happen for us. And also, I let them know, you deserve better. You deserve to have the support you need. You deserve to have your tape on the floor. You deserve to have clear descriptions of what you're expected to do in this performance. You deserve all of that. You deserve that kind of support. And you deserve to have a teacher who takes the time to answer your questions at the end of every class and to be there for you throughout your professional work career. So I, I think that it really has come 
from this place of I want that next generation to have it better than I did more than anything else. Mm. And that clarity that you're coming through with, it, it's it's just a a requirement. This is how it goes. I work with, you know, I, I'm sorry for using the word work. I Again, I so appreciate the clarification. I'd, I'd love to follow up with uh, Brandon and Colleen too about, you know, whether it's a, a organization, if if that's an appropriate word. I, you said a educational pre uh, pre professional program. So in your program, Krishna, it sounds like that that collaboration that you are passing on to your students is it's going to continue to explode into the industry itself. Um, and I'd love to to hear a little more from from Brandon and Colleen on on that side. But uh, uh, thank you for that. Uh, and again, apologies for using the word uh, business. I've, I'm I'm so thankful that you you you're so clear on that. Oh, uh, you're Brandon, good, Roy. Don't worry. <laughs> you it's it's great to know. And Brandon, um, again, the uh, how your message has changed or evolved. Was it because of the culture changed, or you learned something that that was more effective? And uh, love to hear where you take this question. Yeah, I think I think this might be interesting. So, I, I want to take this this question in two different directions. So, one of them specifically where it relates to audio description is um, my message regarding audio description in the industry that I work in has changed because when I first started advocating for it in video games, um, there were no examples that I could go off of. And I think that is the way in which my message has changed. When I first started with this, I, I was just trying to convince uh, someone, you know, with no evidence, <laughs> you know, this could work. No, trust me, it could really. Um, but uh, but I had no way of, of showing them that. There was nothing to show them except for linear media because there was no examples of audio description in video games at that time. Nowadays, uh, it's a lot easier to say, well, uh, so we did it with this game. So here you go. You know, have a listen. Take a listen to how this sounds with audio description. And uh, that's that's your proof that this can work. And let's go from there. Let's make it happen. Um, so that is, that is in, in, in terms of audio description, that's the way that uh, my message has shifted. But just to kind of take it in another direction too, just, just in general, uh, the, the message of, you know, the message that I use when I approach this work in general uh, has also changed just because of the way the conversation around accessibility in video games has shifted and uh, because of my own uh, growing reputation. Um, again, when I first started, it, it was me very much trying to sell myself as the, the person who could do this for you, who could take your video game and make it accessible. Um, you know, and, and now that I have a somewhat proven track record of being able to do that, uh, we're starting to get to a point where I'm, I'm lucky enough, and I acknowledge this is, this is, it's very lucky of me to be in this position, um, that developers are now coming to me and basically saying, help us, mm. help us do this. You know, I don't have to approach developers directly as much anymore. I, I can, I can kind of expect at, at some point someone's gonna someone's gonna realize that uh, accessibility is the right way to go, and 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 they know who to come to to help them do that, and that's me. <laughs> oh, congratulations! That's great, Colleen. Uh, uh, the question of uh, wherever you want to take it, I'm I'm so excited to hear your answer. Um. Yes, so I have this kind of relates to my journey with AD. Um, I will give a very <laughs> brief like summation, but um, I majored in musical theater and I have a certification from the London Dramatic Academy. Um, that means that I um, I actually have a bachelor of music degree. So 
um, my main musicianship is, is voice um, and dialects and things, and then um, acting and dance as well. Um, I have other disabilities besides blindness. And so the challenge that I have um, is in that um, when you are, when you have a disability that is visible, um, it just, everyone thinks you have every disability ever, uh, which is not true. So I, after college, auditioned my butt off everywhere. Um, and the same thing always happened, which was, hi, sweetie. Hi, honey. Do you know where you are? Don't fall off the stage. And I was like, hi, I have a degree and I'm, yeah, there's a number on my shirt and I'm trying to learn the, the dance so I can audition. Can you just tell me about the dance? The piano is over here. You know, just the infantilizing or the just ignorance of, of you know, not being exposed to people with disabilities. And so I never got any cast in anything. I couldn't get um, cast in anything except uh, community theater, which was, you know, lovely, but it is community theater. <laughs> um, and so I ended up working at a museum in Washington, D.C., because you have to make money somehow in America. Uh, so I was um, working at the museum and I said, don't museums have those audio tours? You know, like those cool audio tours. Um, and they said, yeah, we, we had someone write an audio tour, but it's never been recorded. And um, anybody who uh, wants to take the tour, like a blind person or whatever, they have to schedule it two weeks in advance so that we can make sure there's somebody who's going to read the script and go through the museum with them. And I said, hang on a second. I'm sorry. What? Um, and so I decided to rewrite and redesign the tour for the museum that I worked at. And um, I added tactile elements to it. And um, it got to a point where um, I would give tours uh, myself. And um, especially when someone came in with a disability, um, even deaf blindness, they were like, uh, this person wants to come in and, and they're, uh, they have a disability. And I'd be like, okay, what? And they're like, can you, can you, can you do it? Can you do it? And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, just because people are so afraid of what they don't understand or they have this um, preconceived notion, um, like Krishna was talking about, just this um, looking at you, you know, oh, you have the skills, but for some reason it's all tainted with this, oh, you have disability. Um, and so I got into audio description through museum work. And again, I had graduated musical theater. I was in London, all kinds of stuff. I didn't know audio description existed until I was 21, um, which was a year after I had graduated school and it was 2011. And I learned that there was audio description for theater 
and for film. Well, I was in Washington, DC, which is one of the founding cities of audio description. And I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> how did I not know? Um, and I thought to myself, how many blind people don't know? Because I asked my rehab counselor, so the person who assists you with education or, or daily living tasks, orientation and mobility, eye doctors, nobody knew what this was. They did not know. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, so I decided to um, start finding anything to do with audio description that I could. And I ended up meeting um, a uh, sighted describer of theater in North Carolina. And she and I started discussing audio description and how I said, are there any blind teachers or is it all just consulting? Like somebody asks you to give feedback and that's it. Um, and she said, yeah. And I said, also nobody in the class got to practice. Like you need, this is an art learned by doing, like it's so nerve wracking. How could you just do like theory and not practice AD? And so um, we created um, something different. Um, so that's where audio description training retreats came from, was in-person trainings um, originally. And now I'm doing completely virtual training, um, not only for accessibility, but for, you know, cost. And because my students are international, um, it's a lot easier. Um, and I, I am very, very passionate about my message staying up to date and as I mentioned before learning from my students and so I went from advocating for the awareness of audio description whatsoever like even knowing what this is to saying okay this needs to be high quality audio description the you know you need to have higher expectations of people with disabilities, especially your primary audience, which is blind and low vision. This was created and founded by blind people for other blind people with sighted allies. And then somehow there's all these sighted people doing it and dictating it. So hang on a second. <laughs> and um, AD has kind of grown up organically all over the world in different places and with different standards. And there's sort of rules and best practices, but every project is different. And you kind of have to have the base of understanding, you know, the aspects of audio description and the writing of it in order to then expand into where you're going to go with it, whether it's dance or video games or you know, I've started teaching and I started, you know, someone came to me with a video game that they were designing and said, hey, and I said, okay, this is, you know, absolutely, let's test it out. Let's do this. And now I teach part of that. Um, I make sure video games and VR are in the curriculum. Um, there were interpreters and deafblind individuals and I said, yeah, come on in, let's figure it out. Let's do some teaching. Let's, how do we incorporate this? Um, and most recently, um, I think due to the pandemic and different movements and just being able to communicate as, you know, communities on the internet, um, 
one of the things that I've taken up very passionately as well is increasing culturally competent audio description and representation within the industry. Um, as any of us can imagine, uh, the disability community is not well represented. Um, oftentimes people are, again, dictating to us what we should know, or we've internalized, you know, what everybody thinks about people with disabilities. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's like, kid, can you? What if you just had somebody assisting you? Like, what could you do this? Like, of course you could. Um, you're smart enough. You, you know, everything's there. It's just the opportunities have not been given. And it's similar for um, people of color and indigenous communities. And um, I want to make sure that I have a diverse student population and I specifically seek out and do scholarships for, you know, people who are queer, LGBTQ community, um, and Black, Brown, and Indigenous folks. And it has been really, really rewarding to be able to learn from that experience and start to make part of my mission specifically high-quality, culturally competent description that's in the writing of it and then the performance of it. If mm. there's, you know, if there's something specific to a culture, get the people from that culture to be involved and not just consultants again with blindness or with anything else, just have them be the writers, be the people who are voicing it. Um, and as technology moves forward, all the roles of audio description are also different. And so my mission of, again, raising awareness of the profession of audio description and audio describers, come be an audio describer. I now am trying to differentiate between the various roles within live and pre-recorded media, because it is, you know, it, it, if you're just narrating, again, have that base of knowledge. Excellent. Do more than one, write and narrate. Fantastic. But it's, in pre-recorded media and film, television, they're not, you know, not a lot of people are wearing all of the hats where they're recording themselves and editing themselves. And, uh, you know, there's, there's all these different people and no one works in a vacuum. And I think that that's part of what um, sighted people have a hard time grasping as our, our, all of our missions change. It's we're starting to speak up and say, Hey, um, I have a reputation or like, Hey, I, you've heard of me now, or like you, you know, that my students do good work. And so, you know, it, this is worth listening to. This is worth the, you know, raising quality and you can have higher expectations of people, but the learning curve and the, you know, lack of professional opportunity is what is so challenging is nothing is made for us as blind and low vision, you know, consumers, patrons of audio description. And so all of these new missions are cropping up as we, you know, it never stops. It's kind of, I just mm. keep expanding. Um, but yeah, I, um, I'll leave it there. <laughs> One of the things that I'm hearing about that 
tethers back to what uh, both Krishna and Brandon has talked about. Uh, you know, specifically, we've talked about that describer catch-all term and how that has been limiting. And you you captured that so eloquently, along with the the cultural competency and the you know from your rewriting and redesigning the museum tour to where you're now giving those opportunities for people of color and all the other diversity areas to be able to have the opportunities to practice, to get the opportunities. It's such an exciting question uh, that I think segues really well to to what Tabitha is going to ask everyone. Um, uh, Tabitha? Hey, um, let's see. Okay, one more official question from, uh, from me and Roy, and then we will open it up. Um, to our audience. So if you have been listening and you have questions, um, hang on just a minute, then it'll be your turn. Um, so, <laughs> so I think it's another kind of um, multifaceted question. Um, so uh, tell me if if I go too fast, <laughs> you need to hear it again. Um, so different directions to go. Um, you can pick the one that you love most um, or try to tackle them all. Um, First, we always like to give people a chance to kind of um, be proud of of what they've done. Um, your Brandon mentioned um, earlier, uh, you know, luck involved in where he is, but um, I'm sure that's that's true. But it also sounds like you've worked really hard, Brandon. So don't shortchange yourself. Um, so, what is an accomplishment that you're proud of, um, particularly that people might not know about? Um, that might be kind of um, you know, hidden or, or surprising um, is one option. Um, when you are speaking, instructing, or collaborating professionally, what's something you wish people knew about you? Um, maybe about the way you work or, or your talent, or um, again, like maybe something kind of surprising. Or, and or, what do you want people to take away from working with or learning from you? Um, let's see. I'm trying to remember what order. I don't think Colleen has gone first yet. So Colleen, we'll go to you and then Brandon and then Krishna, if I can remember what I just said. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I always have trouble with things like this because to <laughs> me, it just sounds so braggadocious. I'm like, wow. Um, but one thing that I think happens a lot with um, ADTR is that people think that it's bigger than it is. Um, so, uh, people will come to me and say, oh, you know, write this script, uh, da, da, da. and I'm like, okay, I can put you in touch with some of my students. I can, you know, I get any manner of questions about pricing and, um, you know, all this kind of stuff, but the, colleagues that I specifically choose to work with um, and the students I specifically choose to take on. Um, it's just me. So ADTR is me. Um, I am in my apartment and I have a computer and I've lost pretty much all of my usable, usable vision um, in the process of becoming the director of ADTR. Um, so my colleague Jan has retired and so I had to gain enough um, money in order to have an admin and in order to hire graduates and um, consultants. And I am 
I am really, I want to pay people what they're worth. Audio description is a craft. It is not easy. Um, it involves a lot of things. And I, you know, with inflation and all kinds of crazy stuff, I really like to pay people what they're worth. Um, and so as I expand ADTR, I think one of the things that I find myself saying constantly, and it's something that I've, uh, Roy and I have discussed, is kind of the, the imposter syndrome of stuff or mm -hmm. the feeling like, I am so sorry I haven't launched this class yet. Like I knew I said I would and I have curriculum, but like my health is just not there. Mm -hmm. And like I currently, I don't have anybody that's another full-time, you know, with me where I can say, here's all the emails, knock this real quick, um, do this real quick. And so I'm trying to learn as I expand how best to delegate tasks while being able to um, pay people what they're worth when you're working on social security disability and trying to live in LA and, mm -hmm. you know, um, taking care of not only blindness and dealing with the challenges of that, but the other health um, and chronic things that I have mm -hmm. and supporting other blind and low vision and disabled and, you know, underrepresented professionals and wanting to be there, I want to, that's me answering that email. I am really passionate about not a lot of automated stuff. And so there's only so much you can expand with that. And so I want, I want to teach. Um, and I think that what I would love people to know is that I, I love each and every person that comes to me, especially abroad, or I love having conversations about audio description. I could talk about it all day, the nitty gritty like details and nerdy stuff about words. Um, and it's just that I have to recognize that I am one person and I'm an individual who's um, trying to maintain this and do all of the small business um, aspects of it as well. And anyone who's blind and gone into their own, um, you know, program or their own education, you know, might know the challenges of applying for grants or, you know, doing your own taxes and understanding I can't make too much because social security disability in the U S or I have to, mm -hmm. you know, balance this and this and, not a lot of the software for mm -hmm. being a business owner or organization. Um, any companies that I've contacted, including Google, you know, the big ones that you would think would have time and money to invest in things, they are just shocked that a blind person has a job, much less that I'm trying to run a company <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to start an education, um, you know, pathway. And so I think that's often my, um, my kind of uh, chink in my armor is the balance between my confidence of knowing I have, I, I'm good at what I do and I'm good at working with other people and analyzing someone's talents and getting them in the right place, networking with the right people. Networking is huge. It's how I've gotten 
all of my support is former students um, or colleagues. And so um, that balance of confidence in what I have versus I can't walk today. Uh, what do I do? <laughs> and feeling so bad that you didn't get back to that one person who, you know, and you just don't know how someone feels about that on the other end of the internet, you know? So I think that's my, I don't know. <laughs> I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a lot. Um, but I, I think, yeah, you should never have to apologize for only being one person. <laughs> um, I think so. so many of us have that. Because with audio description, you have to wear so many hats. There Mm -hmm. isn't this clear, I'm an engineer, you know, like it's not this clear moment. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's something a lot of previous guests um, have said too about, you know, needing to, you know, to be a a marketer and and yeah, like do the taxes and wrestle with the, the inaccessible software and respond to the emails and maintain the schedule. So yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot, you know, I just, I got tired just listening to all that. So, um, <laughs> so I am, I am time, time management is for when you're dead, right? Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> uh, self-care, Colleen, self-care. <laughs> working on it. Okay. It's a, it's a skill. It is. I mean, it's something that I've been trying to do as my eyes have gotten, um, you know, I've lost a lot of my eyesight and, you know, when I go into stores and now I always ask for assistance and I, I have changed from, um, you know, when I was first doing it, I would go in and say, I'm sorry, I need your help. And, you know, finally I was like, that is a horrible reflection on me. Like I should not apologize. And like, that's just not a good position to start from. Um, because I don't want to help someone infantilize me. And that is, that's just opening like, you know, chances yeah. are, as, as you guys have said, you know, like they're going to do that anyway, but let's, so let's not give them extra, um, you know, ammunition for that. So I've tried to shift and just go up to someone and say, excuse me, could I ask for your assistance? Yep. This is what I need. And it's just, it, it's just, you know, little shifts in, in approach can, um, I think can help a little bit. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm veering off um, topic and I don't want to take time away from, um, I could talk about this stuff all day as well. Uh, Brandon, I believe I said it was your turn next. <laughs> yes. Yes. You got it right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I want to take a couple of, a uh, couple of these, uh, these questions. Uh, but first I do want to say, yes, imposter syndrome is, uh, imposter syndrome is very, very real. Uh, it's something that I dealt with for many, many years. Um, being, you know, feeling good about um, taking credit is, is a strangely difficult thing. Um, and, and it's, it's something that I'm still working on to this day as, as, uh, as has been already pointed out <laughs> in this very conversation. Um, but I think uh, one of the things I will do is I will step up and I will answer the question about the accomplishment that I have made that people might not know about. And uh, so I'm going to take credit for something right now that I haven't actually done publicly yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I support this. I'm excited. Yeah, go for all it. All right, all right. <laughs> Woo! So, and you have about 11 uh, minutes left, Tabitha. Okay. Just so you know. <laughs> not surprised. Well, Thank I'll you. try not to take too long then. <laughs> okay. um, so, there is a wonderful woman. Uh, she goes by Genissary, and that's what she chooses to go by. She works in audio description now. Um, and uh, I first met her, heard of her through a project being run by someone else entirely 
called the Audio Described Games Project. And the idea behind this project was to provide uh, audio described versions of cutscenes from games that didn't have audio description natively. And so uh, the person that was running this project found her, I don't know how they found her, but um, they hired her basically to write an audio description for, uh, basically write some description for a cutscene from, from the God of War 2018 video game. And uh, she did. And then she also voiced it. And I happened to listen to the video they made as a result of that. And from the moment that I heard that, I knew that she not only had, I knew she had the it factor. She, she could write audio description. I knew she could. She didn't have any formal training yet, but I knew she could. And her, her voice is perfect for audio description as well. So it absolutely perfect. So I'm happy to say that I'm the one that pitched her to Descriptive Video Works and uh, therefore am sort of sort of the reason she has the job that she has now, where she is basically the, the lead on all of their game-related projects. She not only works to write uh, their audio description for games, but voices some of it too uh, for game-related projects, and she produces it, and she's just all over the place now. She's just doing all their game-related stuff, and uh, that's largely because of me, which is pretty cool and something that I haven't really taken a lot of credit for yet. She herself has told me, Brandon, yes, take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> this is your doing. Um, so so there you go. I've finally done it. Uh, I'm actually waiting for a very particular moment that's coming up soon um, to officially uh, do this. Uh, I, I plan on doing this really, really nice social media thread at a particular moment in time that is coming up. And that's going to be that's going to be where I publicly really, really publicly take credit. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so that's that. Um, and as far as the question of what do I want people to take away from uh, my, you know, when, when I talk to people, um, I think I am, again, lucky enough to have a particular talent where, uh, and this is, this is something that I've been told by multiple other people. Uh, apparently, when I speak about accessibility uh, and about, you know, my passion for video games and, and how, you know, why I think video games should be made accessible and all, all these things. Uh, my passion it becomes contagious, uh, is what I'm told by multiple people. And that, that the thing is, that is the thing that I want people to take away. I, I want people to uh, become as passionate about this as I am. And because of that, want to pursue the idea of making their game accessible. Um, my success with selling uh, the idea of accessibility to developers may likely be because of this, this, this thing that I do without even knowing that I'm doing it. And uh, um, I think that's I think that's what I want the takeaway to be. I I just I literally just flew back from a meeting with a developer uh, yesterday, and uh, I was told by one of them at the end of that meeting that they were quote on fire end quote <laughs> because they they were really excited about what we had talked about and what they wanted to do, and that's what I want. I want people to become as into this idea and willing to work on it as, as I am, because that will lead to some great products. And I think already has in some cases and will continue to do so. Yeah. I think that's where I'll leave it though. <laughs> well, that's great. And thank you for, for taking credit, <laughs> especially with some, you know, that's, that's so great. Just kind of a, uh, you know, demonstration of how like, you know, supportive and, um, you know, like networking can sound like such a boring thing, but when you're, you know, supporting people's career and helping them, you know, do good things, then that's, that's 
great. So thank you. Um, okay, Krishna, and then um, we'll see if we have time for a question or two from our, our faithful fans. Thanks, Tabitha. I think that, you know, what I want people to take away from studying with me more than anything is what my own blind dance teacher gave to me, which is that understanding that what I create as an artist needs to be approached in a way that is unique based on my experience with the world, how I sense it, how I feel it in my body, but that does not make it any less than any other artist's expression. And that what being an artist really is, is two things. It's taking the time to understand like your own authentic artistic mission. And it's also that dedication to truly believing in practice and the model of growth in learning. Trusting that you can train your nervous system gradually over time, cultivating that relationship, that self-knowledge. Being a great dancer or a great audio describer it doesn't come from magic. It can't happen in a week or a month or a year. It's an eternal pathway of infinite attempts, infinite ways of learning, infinite ways of thinking. And it also can't be done alone. There always needs to be support systems, and especially somebody specifically there to support you. Something that I really want people to know about is darkroom ballet is not one person. It's not just me. It has never been just me. It is me and my administrator, Alejandra Ospina, who's also an audio describer and a disabled person herself and an incredible actor. She is the person who said to me early on in the pandemic, I am going to make you a website and I am going to support you to get your courses off the ground. And you can't say no to me. <laughs> <laughs> and it is because of her faith in what I was doing that I am here talking to all of you. Sometimes you just need one person to just come to you and say, I am here for you. I will help you make this happen. I was given that gift. It's important for me to acknowledge that always. And I hope that she's listening. I'm not sure if she is. But 
I would not be here talking to all of you and teaching the courses that I teach and working with the hundreds and hundreds of students that I have. If she had not said to me early on in the pandemic, what you're doing is important and you need help and I'm doing it for you. Even though you don't have a penny to your name, I'm doing it for you. And that's what I want people to know about Darkroom Ballet. Well, thank you so much. That's um, such a beautiful note to end on. I, I really, I think everyone can relate to that that description of of the artistic practice and um, infinite attempts <laughs> as we continue to to grow um, in our our describing and our advocacy and our teaching, our training, our dancing, our writing. Are, are setting people metaphorically on fire um, outside of video games and literally on fire inside of video games. Um, uh, I've, I've heard some of the uh, the descriptions for uh, Mortal Kombat were, were quite lively. Um, so uh, very impressive work, all of you. And I'm afraid that um, we have one minute left, so <laughs> uh, we will have to, um, to to wrap up without taking questions from the audience. I'm so sorry, um, but I mean, I, I think that we would love to keep this conversation going. So um, you you can always reach out to uh, to me and and Roy, and we can uh, you know try to put people in touch and keep everybody involved. We've uh, we're recording this. It'll be available on uh, multiple platforms so you can share with your friends. Um, Roy, any final thoughts? Yes. New York Times article is named Hear the Dance. Audio description comes of age. It was released on, I believe, 11-11-2023. It's so exciting to hear how each of you, Krishna and Colleen and Brandon, are leading not only your own group and organization, but others and all the people that you have taught. Thank you for sharing your collaborations with others and your own leadership. Thank you very much, everyone. And uh, don't miss the Audio Description Awards Gala Tuesday, the 14th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Go to adawardsgala.org for information on how to listen. And Brandon is actually one of the presenters. So um, lots lots of reasons to, to go. And thank Heck you, yeah. everyone. <laughs> thank you, panelists. <laughs> thank you, hosts and um, ACB and everyone listening. Um, we'll catch you next time. Thank you.